Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're looking at verses 7 through 11 this morning. Let me read that text of scripture to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to, a, uh, to other various kinds of tongues, and to another the interp interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Maybe Dr. Seuss was reading this passage of scripture when uh, he penned these particular words. He says, if you've never been born, then what would you be? You might be a fish or a toad in a tree. You might be a doorknob or three baked potatoes. Worse than all that, you might be a wasn't. A wasn't has no fun at all. No, he, he doesn't. It wasn't just isn't. He just isn't present. But you, you are you. Now isn't that pleasant? Today, you are you, and it's truer than true that there's no one alive who is youer than you. Shout loud, I am lucky to be what I am. Thank goodness I'm not just a clam or a ham or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am, and it's a great thing to be. If I had to say so myself, happy birthday to me. Well, those are silly words, but they fit fairly well with where we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, he was talking about physical birth and who we are because we're alive. Uh, Paul is talking about spiritual birth and who we are because we're in Christ. At, at the moment that we are become saved, at the moment of our spiritual conversion, we become a new person. Uh, your sins are forgiven, and you have the righteousness of Christ that you do not deserve. You become a new creature in Christ. Uh, you are now a child of God himself. Uh, you have become the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives within you. Uh, and in addition to all of this, as we see today, at the moment of your salvation, you receive special gifts that the Lord has given only to his children to administer, uh, administered by the Holy Spirit in order that we might minister to one another and edify one another in the Lord. Dr. Seuss says there's no one alive who is youer than you. Well, you are unique. Uh, you're unique as a child of God. God has made nobody else quite like you. And some of you know that very clearly by now. But he made you to, in such a way to accomplish things that no one else can accomplish quite like you. And it's because uh, the Corinthians didn't understand things like this that Paul is going to spend three chapters talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he has given us, what we call spiritual gifts. This church was a proud church. Uh, it was a church that was messed up in many ways. It was divisive, but it was highly gifted. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, it said they, they lacked no spiritual gift. And there's no other passage in all the New Testament like 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 that deals with, these, with, with a particular problem and issue and spends three whole chapters developing it. So this is a unique and very powerful and very, unique, very useful passage of Scripture that we'll spend uh, considerable time on in the next few weeks. The problem at Corinth is they had confused many things. They had confused animal heat with uh, spiritual power. They confused emotional frenzy with the work of God. They had confused excitement with worship. They confused the gifts with spirituality. 
And the Corinthians had all these gifts, but they weren't using them to the honor and glory of God. They weren't using them as God had intended. And so the church itself was messed up partly because of that reason. It was such a major problem, as I said, that Paul is going to spend three whole chapters trying to unravel this. All these chapters, all three chapters are in the context of correction. He is correcting them for things they're doing wrong, and he's telling them what they should do right. And so we hit these chapters running and looking at these things in detail. What we're looking at today, then, is what we call spiritual gifts. Uh, going to verse 4, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. So he's talking about these gifts, the giftedness that God has given us. And then he goes to verse 7 that we'll start looking at today. Which, uh, and, it's, and there in this verse, it, we start looking at, first of all, the purpose of the spiritual gifts. We'll look at a number of things about gifts, but we start by looking at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And this is the key verse. It says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now let me suggest to you, this is the thesis statement of the whole, all three chapters. This is everything that he's going to say in the next three chapters wrap around in one way or the other around this central verse. This one verse. It is loaded, it's packed, and we're going to try to understand it as we look at it today. And as we look at it, I want, I want, to, I want to answer four questions, to develop and answer four questions concerning uh, spiritual gifts, all coming basically from this verse of Scripture. First of all, what are they? What are the spiritual gifts? He says here, but to each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit. In verse 4, he calls them gifts. Uh, here he calls them manifestations. So he is saying that here's, the, here's how the Holy Spirit works out through your life, uh, your giftedness, your, your ministry for him. This is how he works this out. This is his manifestation in you, and it's through the Holy Spirit that that happens. So what are spiritual gifts? Well, let me give you a kind of a concise definition their capacities or abilities for service given to us by the Holy Spirit as Christians. They are capacities or abilities given to us by the Holy Spirit for service for Him. That is what they are. That is their purpose, as we'll see. They are distinct from natural talents. Now, I want to talk about that for a moment. They're not the same thing as natural talents. Uh, unbelievers have natural talents. Uh, only Christians have spiritual gifts. So there is a distinction. For instance, could someone say, I have the gift of singing, and therefore that is my spiritual gift, or, or piano playing, or something like that? No, that's not a spiritual gift. That may be a vehicle in which our spiritual gifts are used and, and, and manifested, but they are not the spiritual gifts themselves, because unbelievers can sing, unbelievers can play pianos, this is a gift given for the purpose of building up and edifying the body of Christ. And those talents that we have can be gifts that we use for His glory. And, 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 but, and, our, and our gifts work through those talents, but they're not what He's talking about here. I want you to go over to 1 Peter chapter 4. In reality, there's only four places in the New Testament that talk about uh, the spiritual gifts. There is this passage here. There's Romans 12. There's there's 1 Peter 4 and there's Ephesians chapter 4. Those are the four passages that does that. I really like the one in 1 Peter, however, because it, it takes us a little bit further. and It isn't as detailed, but it gives us some important information. Verse 10, 1 Peter 4. As each one has received a special gift, so each of us have been gifted. He's saying the same thing Paul says. 
employ it in serving one another. It's to be used to serve other people as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he kind of unloads or unravels this. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so, do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So taking a look at that, we see these gifts are given to us, just like Paul said, and when we use our gifts, we're to do so in the strength which God supplies, we're to do so for the glory of Jesus Christ, we're to do so because all the glory and dominion belongs to him forever and ever. So it's pretty, pretty simple, really. We are given gifts to glorify Christ by ministering to one another in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts God has given to us. So we go back to our passage of Scripture, and we see then that these are abilities that God has given to us at, uh, as believers to serve and minister for Him. Back in 1 Corinthians now, chapter 12, we, we ask a second question, and that is, who has spiritual gifts? I've already touched on that, but look at our verse of Scripture once again. It says in verse 7, but each one is given the manifestation. Every believer has spiritual gifts. And you say, well, I don't know that I have any. Well, God says you do. So let's go with that. All right? Whether you know your gifts, and we'll talk about that in a moment, whether you understand your giftedness, uh, whether you believe you have gifts, it doesn't matter. God says you have. Each one of us have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to serve for His glory and the building up of the body of Christ. So each one has these, and because each of us have these, they are, they're given to us apparently at the moment of regeneration. At the moment of salvation, you are given those gifts. Uh, you don't have to mature, you don't have to grow up to get those gifts. You have those at the moment of salvation. But at the same time, that does not mean you know your gifts at the moment of salvation. Uh, any more than a, a baby knows where, what its abilities and talents and gifts are when it was born as a baby, right? So let's take a little baby, for example. We've got about six or seven babies on the way in our church right now. So we have a lot of children that we'll be looking at in the near future. And uh, every parent looks at their little kid in the crib, especially the first one. And they say, that kid is a genius. I mean, look, look, it's... It's three days old and can already see, you know. It's, a, it's an absolute genius. And then when it rolls over the first time, we're convinced it's going to be the next Michael Jordan or maybe a gymnast or something. Look at the talent of that kid. It rolled over. I mean, come on. This is a, this is a specially talented kid. And we, we think that way. Like I said, the first kid in particular, by four or five, you know, you begin to figure it out. Maybe that's not the case. But uh, early on, but, you know, that child does not know its gifts. The child doesn't know what it can do. It may, that little baby may have the ability uh, to be, be a great uh, music, musician or, or, ta or athlete or, or whatever, but it doesn't know that, and you don't know that as a parent. It'll take time to determine that. But nevertheless, some of those gifts and abilities are already laden in that child, even though they don't know that yet. So who has spiritual gifts? You do. Everybody in this room is a Christian. Every one of you. No matter how inferior you might feel you are, or how weak you might think you are, you are gifted by God to do something for Him as nobody else can do. I want you to get that in your mind. 
God especially gifted you to do something for him. And in such a way as he combines your talents, your gifts, your personality, your intellect, and so forth into a special package so that nobody is youer than you. Nobody is, is quite like you. And as a result of that, God has special ministries in front of you. Here's a third question. How do we discover our spiritual gifts? Now, this is a big one. Because I have seen people, I've talked to people over throughout all these decades who will say to me, I don't know what my gifts are. And I just don't know what to do about that. I've been saved for years, but I have no idea how I minister or can minister or what my gifts are. So let me talk about some things with you. Let me give you four suggestions on how to know what your gifts are. Number one, know what they are. Know what the biblical gifts are. And we're going to look at a few of those today. In the New Testament, there are 19 spiritual gifts identified. That may not exhaust all possibilities. Maybe the, no list is exactly the same. Perhaps there's a one or two or three more that are there. But, but primarily, know what the gifts are in the New Testament. We're going to look at nine of those today, about half of them, very briefly. But, uh, but know what they are. That, that'll be very helpful if you get that down. Secondly, and this is even more important, get involved in service. Get involved in ministry. You cannot discover your abilities, you cannot discover your giftedness, you cannot discover where you will fit in the body of Christ and how you can minister well by simply sitting around thinking about it. Jump into ministry. Get involved. You know, some of you would like to be able to play a piano or an instrument like some of these did today. But you know, if you sit out there and look at that piano for the next 30 years, you'll still not be able to play. You've got to give it a shot, right? You've got to get in there. And as you do that, as you minister, let me just encourage you to try different things. Some of you say, well, I might do something and fail. Well, join the club. You know, I don't know how many times I've crashed and burned on trying to do something. I've learned what I can't do a lot of times, or what I can do, but what I can't do, and so forth. So I, I know that. For example, I'd love to be musical, but I've been convinced by many, many people I'm not. Okay? <laughs> I tried to learn a guitar back when Mark, by the time Marsh and I were getting married, and I got three chords and one strum. I kept it for several years, never moved on, and gave up. I'm not a musician. I just, I have no rhythm. I don't, when people are clapping in rhythm, I don't. Because by the third clap, I'm out of sync. I can't do it. We had a guy here on Sunday night one time, leading singing. After, this, after he got done singing, he turned around and says, you're the second worst singer I've ever heard. <laughs> well, there went my career, you know. I don't know who the first was. I didn't ask, but I, he said the second worst he'd ever heard. That, that was very encouraging at the moment. I, 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 don't, I can't cook. I'm not going to be in the kitchen on Wednesday night. Uh, this morning, I decided to have a couple boiled eggs for breakfast. And so I, I boiled my eggs, and I was getting the water drained out, and one of them rolled right into garbage disposal. You know? Now, I didn't want scrambled eggs, and it's way down in there. So here I am, my hand way down in the, dish, the garbage disposal, and uh, going to pull this thing out. I bruised my hand all up, and I got it out. All right? that's, that's my cooking ability. You know, I'm not going to cook on Wednesday night. I've tried these kind of things. It's not pretty. I don't do these things. Uh, there's all sorts of things where I've crashed and burned, and you have too. But eventually, you figure out where you are. You figure out what you can do and where the Lord has gifted you because God has gifted you to do something for his glory. And it may not be showy, it may not be something a lot of people know about, but he has given you abilities in which to serve him 
And in order to do that, you have to try to do it. Try it, get involved. You teach in a Sunday school class with kids and you find out, I don't like teaching kids, all right? But maybe you can teach adults or maybe you can work in the nursery or maybe you can, you can help out on organizational things or cleaning, all sorts of things that are involved. But, but those things in, in themselves are not your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts is the ability to do these things, these, the more natural things, but you do it in such a way that you're building up other believers. You're blessing other believers. You're encouraging the body of Christ. That is how the spiritual gifts work with your talents. So begin to serve, and you'll begin to discover where God has placed you in his body, and he has placed you in his body if you're a Christian. Here's thirdly, examine your interest. As you get involved in service, most of the time you're going to notice certain things you like to do, certain things you gravitate toward, certain things that interest you. I believe for the most part, God gifts us in the area of our interest, or at least our area of interest reveals to us our area of giftedness. I, I remember years ago as I was growing up, there'd be various ones that come along like missionaries and say, well, the one thing I told the Lord I would not do would be a missionary. And the Lord made me become a missionary. That sounded pretty negative to me. So don't tell the Lord what you don't want to do. He'll make you do it. Well, you know, I guess that's possible, but I don't think that's normal. I think normally as you get involved in different things, you find, I like that. I mean, I like to minister in that way. I like to, 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 to build up people that way. I, I like that kind of ministry. It, it fits me. And as you pursue that, you'll find that most of the time your giftedness is, is going to be re at least revealed in the area of your interest. So let me encourage you to get involved. And as you do, you'll find various things that interest you, you, you gravitate towards, you love to do, and not, you're not like anybody else. You're different than other people. You have different interests and different abilities, and the Lord has made us that way. I would say serving the Lord is costly. We're not minimizing that. Jesus certainly didn't. But at the same time, it's rewarding. You remember the old song years ago, that there's joy in serving Jesus? Well, there is. And if you don't have joy in serving Jesus, something's out of sync somewhere. Because even in the difficulties of serving Jesus, there's joy that we can have a part in ministering for him and for his glory. Here's a fourth suggestion. Get the counsel of others. Uh, talk to not, not just the nice people. You catch my drift? There are certain people who, if, if you fell down off this stage, you'd say, that was a great role. You really handled that with grace. You know, uh, that, we like nice people. They're encouraging to us. We like that. But also talk to people who will be graciously honest with you, who will not say, will not blow smoke, who will say, yeah, you know, maybe that's not your area. Here's, here's a better area for you. Talk to people that know you, people who will be honest with you, people that love you, people that have discernment, and ask them these things. Get some counsel from others. Don't just do it alone. So if you think you have the gift of teaching, but nobody else does, you're probably not a teacher. Harry Ironside, a famous preacher of the past, used to say that all the time. I, I often quoted him. He said, Those who are, there are many who think they have the gift of preaching, but nobody has the gift of listening to them. Well, if that's the case, that's not your gift, most likely. So here's where older Christians can be very helpful, that you can give honest, gracious feedback and encouragement and insight uh, to 
such people. I remember when I was, uh, got ordained, I think I was 27 years old or something like that, and we had an ordination service. And, after, and part of the ordination service was for me to preach about a 20-minute sermon. So uh, this wasn't a service, this was a council. So I, I did that, and afterwards, uh, you know, a number of the, of the guys, we had about 15 pastors here, and they were very gracious. The one guy, the one I knew the best, and the one who uh, I think cared for me the most, came to me and told me where I messed up. And he said, you should, here, do you want people, blah, blah, and he gave me a bunch of stuff. And I was at first quite offended, because I thought I blew him away, of course, you know, just did a great job. And, and he said, you, you messed it, you, you, do you want to be a good preacher? You missed it right there. And I was, I was a little bit upset at first, but I've never forgotten that. It's been five years or more now. And I've, I've, <laughs> I've never forgotten what he said to me that day. And, how, and I, that, that helped me to adjust in a way that was very, very pertinent. If he hadn't been honest with me, if he just walked out the door and said, Gary, that was great. I'd have never pinpointed what he told me that day. And so it wasn't critical. It wasn't mean-spirited, but it was helpful. And so let's help one another in our giftedness and in our abilities. Encourage, but also encourage in the right direction. Remember the other day I said, nobody's quite like you, and it's kind of like chili. Everybody makes chili differently. Now, you know, the takeaway of that sermon, because you don't remember that sermon, probably, the one good thing came out of it, we're going to have a chili cook-off on Wednesday night. <laughs> so, you know, I gave it to somebody who's got an organizational ability, and here we go. Well, that's kind of funny, but, but the point is, you are different Chili's different, you're different, but God has gifted you to be what he wants you to be. Now I want to say one more thing before I move on to this one. Don't get too hung up on being able to name your spiritual gift. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that you use the giftedness that God has given you for his glory. You will discover that in your interests, in your abilities, and in your opportunities. At the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will never ask you what was your spiritual gift, but he will examine you on how well you served him. And that ought to be serious, isn't it? It's a very serious thing to think about. One day as a Christian, not to be judged for our sin, but we will stand before him and as far as our service for him. He has gifted you and me to serve him, so we shall be doing so with what he's given us. Question number four, what is the purpose of the gifts? We've already hit around that, but look at the verse again. But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you can get that down, uh, you will understand a great deal about the gifts, and it will, it will stop many false teachings about gifts today. The, the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the common good. It's for the, it's for the other person. It's not for you. The gifts are not given to you to, to feel good about yourself. They're not given to you to edify yourself, to build yourself up. Every gift is given for the same purpose, and that is for the purpose of building up other people. And therefore, somebody says, well, I've got this gift or that gift, and it really builds me up. That, then you misuse the gifts. The gifts are not given to build you up. The gifts are given to build up other people. It's for the common good. And therefore, you cannot, you cannot express your gifts in, at home by yourself. Your giftedness has to be given out to other people to be used as God intended for it to give. Now this is part of the problem at this church here. As we'll get into chapter 14, it'll be very clear, a little bit in chapter 12. These people were using their gifts, especially the gift of tongues, for self-edification. 
I'm, I'm praying in tongues and I'm getting built up. It's a heavenly language. I'm getting built up here. And Paul doesn't say, well, that's good. He said, that is wrong. Tongues were not given. No gift was given to build yourself up. Not for self-edification, for the edification of one another. And Paul will correct them on that in chapter 14. Okay, there's the purpose behind gifts. Let's, take, let's go to verses 8 to 10 and look at the variety of the gifts that he identifies here. And as he does so, let me read this to you. For, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now here, here's what I want you to notice as I do this. I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit. Notice the repetition of the terminology, the same Spirit or the one Spirit. When you get that repetition, when you see that, you see where he's really going here. So, so back up, for example, to verse 4. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There's a variety of effects, but the same God. Then he goes down to verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit there. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles and prophecies and, and distinguishing of spirits and of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one as he individually will. Verse 13, for by one Spirit we're all baptized in one body. Get the point? The point is there's one spirit, not many spirits. And that, that one spirit, when he gifts us and puts us to work for serving him for the glory of Christ, does so in such a way that there should bring about unity and harmony and love in the body of Christ. That same spirit is at work in every one of us. And he doesn't work within us to cause division and competition and envy and so forth, which is exactly the problem at Corinth. They were gifted, but as they used their gifts, they used them to divide themselves, to, to have competition among themselves, to be envious with one another, and put down one another. They've totally misused this blessed gift of the Holy Spirit. And so even the gifts of God can be misused, as we see. Let me say this too, I think as we look at these things, we see how the, how the church is structured by God. The church is not, friends, primarily an organization. We are primarily an organism. The difference is the organism is alive. Organization is structure. When I first came to Southern View years ago, I, I, one of the first things I started doing was structuring the church according to uh, flowcharts flowcharts and, and, and structure. I've been, at that time, the big fad in Christianity was to run a church like a corporation. To, uh, if, if it was good for General Motors and for Walmart, it was good for the church. And so I'd taken classes, read numerous books, and I brought all that back to the church. And we had flowcharts on the walls here and there. And we, had, we had all this structure. And it took a little while for me to realize that's not the New Testament picture. Yes, we need organization. Don't get me wrong. Every group of people has to be organized. There has to be organization. There has to be administration. And the Lord has given us elders to lead the church, deacons and deaconesses within the body in various ministries, and all of us together ministering and serving in this organism 
this living body of Christ. So we need structure, we need organization, but there's one extremely major difference between an organization and an organism like ours. And that is the bottom line is different. The bottom line of an organization, a corporation, is money, success, and so forth. The bottom line of the church is not nickels and noses. It's not excellence. It's much as we want to be excellent. It is not how much we can get accomplished and what programs we can push forward. The bottom line is people and the glory of Jesus Christ. So our job is to glorify Jesus Christ. And we do that through people. And so we may fail to be as successful as someone else for the reason that we're more concerned about the people and the body than we are about the success in the world. That sets the church apart. We are not like the world. Our, our commodity is, is, is people, and, the, and our goal is the glory of Christ. And so the church is different. And so as we think about that, we find Paul not structuring the church according to General Motors. He's structuring the church according to the living body that ministers to itself. Now he starts to mention here these gifts. I mentioned a moment ago there's 19 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. There's nine of them here. Let me very quickly run through these nine as to what they are. And I want to say this too. Be careful. Uh, Back in the 70s and early 80s there was this huge push about spiritual gifts and body life. And that was a good corrective but as many things it overdid. And then all sorts of ministries and churches and so forth began to develop uh, all sorts of stuff about the spiritual gifts. And a lot of what they said the spiritual gifts were was imaginary. They were made up. We don't know certain things here. Paul does not give us a great deal of detail about these gifts. He lists them. And so we, we go as far as we can, but let's not get imaginative. Look at this, for example. The first is the word of wisdom. A wisdom is the have special insights into the solution of problems and difficulties, perhaps in the lives of people. And, and this kind of person would make a great counselor of others who can get below the surface of the issues and deal with the more important issues. But next word is knowledge. Knowledge would be distinguished from wisdom in that it's probably factual truth. Uh, those who have the ability to analytically study the scriptures, to, to really dig into that, uh, make great theologians and Bible teachers, not just in colleges or whatever, but in a local church. This is what he's talking about. There was no seminaries back in those days. He's talking about the local church. So those that can dig into the Word of God and really dig out some, some special truths that is there, make great Bible teachers with the gift of knowledge. The gift of faith. All Christians are called to faith. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, honors all these Old Testament saints on the basis of their faith. So all Christians should have faith. But there are some that have a deeper level of faith and they can see beyond maybe what many of us can see. These will be the visionaries, the leaders who say, here's what we can do and I see a, a way forward and I believe God for it. There is now the gifts of healing. We start now at this point, and we're going to look more at this later in chapter 14, and that is this, what we call the sign gifts. The sign gifts. We start with healing. And that the gift of healing here, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 though, 
And notice something very, uh, very pertinent concerning these signed gifts. Second Corinthians twelve twelve. Paul says to this church, who by the way were challenging his apostleship at this point, he says to them, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Paul makes it very clear that these sign gifts, as we call them, these miraculous gifts, the ones that we're going to mention, that's two or three, are, were not given to the general body of Christ. They were given as signs of an apostleship in the New Testament church. Remember, uh, there, there was no, uh, th these, these apostles that went forth didn't have credentials from Bible colleges and seminaries and, and whatever. They, they proved themselves by their abilities and by the ability to perform signs and wonders that demonstrated to the world of the church that they were God's spokesmen. And so as we think of healing, we, we see that that is one of the gifts given to the apostles. Going back to our passage, we also see miracles here. Miracles are more general than healing. Healing is physical elements. Miracles is broader. Uh, another thing to note, uh, a lot of people seem to think, well, healing and miracles were found all the way through the scriptures. They're not. Think about this for a moment. Now, we're not talking, God, God can heal and God does miracles, has done that forever, and will do it, is doing it now, will do it for the future. We don't doubt that at all. God does miracles. God heals people. We pray for that all the time. But there's only three periods in all of history in which God used individuals who had the gift of healing and miracles. Only three periods in all of history. Check your Bible out. Number one was Moses. Moses was God's spokesman. He needed to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Pharaoh did not want to let them go. And therefore he performed many, many miracles at that time. The second time would be Elijah and Elijah. At the darkest hour of Israel, when uh, the whole nation had turned against the Lord, God sent two prophets, Elijah and Elijah, who performed 21 miracles, demonstrating that God was still alive, and he still was sending his spokesman to these people. Then there was this great period of silence until Jesus came. Even John the Baptist performed no miracles. The greatest man, Jesus said, perhaps that had ever lived, did not perform miracles, but Jesus did. And his apostles, at least for a time, did the same thing. And so we have these periods of time, and those two, I believe, were given to the apostles. Then we have prophecy. A prophet has two functions. That one is to predict the future, and the other is to interpret that which uh, current events in the light of the Word of God. We find that all the way through Scripture. We'll look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But let me say this. The prophet of the Old Testament and the prophet of the New Testament had one characteristic that a lot of modern so-called prophets don't have. They were infallible when they spoke prophecy. They never spoke an error. They were never wrong. In the Old Testament, they killed them if they were wrong one time. That would wipe out a lot of church today, wouldn't it? In the New Testament, they didn't kill them, but they, didn't, they dismissed them. We'll see that in chapter 14. And so they were, they were spokesmen for God. They made no mistakes when they were speaking prophecy for God. And then they're distinguishing, distinguishing the spirits here. Uh, this might be the gift of discernment. You know, everything that God does, Satan counterfeits. Have you noticed that? If there's a Christ, there's an antichrist. If there are true prophets, there are false prophets. If there are true apostles, there are false 
apostles. If there are wheats, there's tares. If there are sheep, there are wolves in sheep clothing. Satan is always counterfeiting. Be aware of it. And nobody counterfeits junk. Who counterfeits paper sacks? You know, or, or, or piles of dirt? Nobody. It's just useless. But people counterfeit gold and silver and precious stones and money all the time. Satan doesn't bother with the junk. He counterfeits the best. And so it's very important we have people in the local church who have the good sense of discernment that can see through uh, these kinds of things that are, Satan is throwing our way. Then there's the gift of tongues, which we'll look at in detail later, but the gift of tongues in Scripture was always being able to speak in a language that you did not know, a foreign language you had never studied, you did not know. It was not gibberish, it was not incoherent, it was a language you did not know. And the interpretation of tongues would be interpreting a language that we did not know. Now let me say this, and I'll move on because we'll talk about this in the future. Whatever is going on today in, in Christianized circles concerning these miraculous gifts, I want you to think of this too. I just put this in your brain to think about. Whatever's going on is not what took place in the Bible, in the New Testament. For example, there are those that claim that they do miracles, but they're not parting Red Seas. Uh, they're not stopping the wind. Uh, they're, they're not bringing down manna from heaven. Uh, they're not doing the, the things that, that were miracles in the New Testament. They're not doing those things because they can't do those things. Uh, they're, they're, the healings are the same way. We, we hear about anecdotally these healings and so forth, but nobody's going to hospitals and clearing them out. These are controlled circumstances that are most of the time anecdotal and unverifiable of people. They're, nobody's raising the dead. Now, people claim it, but when we look, go back and look over what's going on, that's not happening. And when, and when some of the big publicity recently about the group Bethel out in California trying to raise the dead, they still buried those people. They didn't raise anybody. Nobody's doing that today because they can't. Nobody has that ability. Uh, tongues, nobody today is speaking in languages they haven't studied. I tried that in college. That didn't work. You know, try to speak, I don't mean the tongues, I meant I tried to learn to speak French without studying it. it my grades reflected my lack of ability there. Uh, in the early Pentecostal movement, the early 1900s, believing that God would give them abilities to go out and evangelize with tongues, they sent out missionaries all over the world. They all came back about three years later said, it didn't work. Nobody understands us. And there was official doctrinal changes from foreign languages to gibberish for tongues at that point. But I'll talk about that later. Same thing with interpretation of tongues. And then there's prophecy. Nobody's prophesying like they did in the Old Testament and the New. Prophecies in, the, uh, in modern time are, are general. They're unclear and they're often, even the ones who support this, often admit they're wrong. The prophecies of Scripture were never wrong. They were very clear. They were very concise. So whatever is going on today, and you can think that through and we'll talk about it more, whatever is going on today is not what happened in the New Testament. These, these things are not the gifts we find we're looking at here. One more thing and we're done for today, and that is the distribution of the gifts. Look at verse 11, another wonderful verse. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Now get this, just as He wills. So we have two things here. That we, well, first of all, we have the sovereignty of the Spirit. 
How are the gifts distributed in the body of Christ like a church like ours or churches around the world? How are they distributed? Just as the Holy Spirit wills. We're never called to, to go chase down certain gifts. Uh, we're never called to, 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 to moan that we don't have gifts and we want a certain gift. They're given to us sovereignly as the Spirit wills. And so we see the sovereignty there. Why does he do that? First of all, so no one can look down on anyone else. No one, no one will be able to look at one another and say, well, look, I'm better than you. I can look down on you because any gift that we have is nothing but a what? A gift, right? It's been given to us. It isn't something we earned. It was given to us according to the will of the Spirit. Secondly, we do not seek these gifts. Uh, therefore, we're not to be envious of one another. The church at Corinth was envious. They were envious of one another. And Paul is pointing out that's, not, that's totally wrong because the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he chooses according to his sovereign will. A.W. Tozer said this, the scriptural teaching that the work of God through the, through the church can be accomplished only by the energizing of the Holy Spirit is very hard for humans to accept. For it is a concept that frustrates our own carnal desire for honor and praise for glory and recognition. When we realize that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit for everything we do, that keeps us humble and that allows God's Spirit to work through us and it unites the body of Christ and builds up. Martin Luther, who had a crass way of saying a lot of things, said this, God created the earth out of nothing. If you become nothing, he can make something out of you. I kind of like that. It's time to humble ourselves before Almighty God, and he will use us as he chooses, if we will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your word, uh, for the clarity of these passages, the practicality of them. Lord, thank you for the giftedness that you've given each of us. May we use them for your honor and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.